We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And this will be my final podcast of the regular season. But I'm going to be back with a bunch of weekly podcasts uh, on Wednesdays this off season, and those will get going in a few weeks. Uh, so before the end of the playoffs, and then uh, I will have a final top 400 prospect rankings update live on Roadwire.com early next week. Uh, that, of course, is my sort of final update of the 2023 season. And my final update of 2023 uh, period, because I don't update them again until after all the international free agents sign on January 15th. And of course, that'll just be a massive month or so of first year player draft content to go along with that big update. And we'll be talking uh, plenty about prospects in between now and then. Um, And then I just wanted to thank everyone for all the great questions you've sent in uh, this season and, and for this episode as well. Uh, but let's, uh, let's just get things going. Uh, first question from my buddy, Todd Whitestone. Uh, Todd and I are, are in the hunt for some NFBC leagues this year. Uh, it's been another great year partnering with Todd. Uh, so Todd's question is for 2024 only, what are your expectations for the young hitters in the Baltimore organization in terms of level? And then he says in parentheses, obviously Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rushman are major leaguers and production. Uh, so for, for Gunnar Henderson, um, you know, I think he's going to be even better next year than he was this year. Uh, he's been basically a, a 280 hitter for most of the season. He just hit, 170 with 25 walks in his first 100 at bats and basically ever since then he's just been exactly as advertised just a a five category contributor so i i think he just kind of picks up where he where he left off and he probably gets up over you know around 30 homers next year around 15 steals around a 280 average so uh, Gunnar Henderson is going to be great next year. Uh, Adley Rutschman uh, expectations uh, should be that he basically kind of repeats this performance. And then you just factor in that there's a, a chance for a bit more power next year. Um, but really with, with Adley, you know, the big selling point is 
600 plus plate appearances from the catcher position and you're getting a catcher who in those you know 650 i think he's at like over 650 already this season but you know just for like next year let's say 650 plate appearances but you're getting those from a guy who could hit 275 280 you know maybe he only hits 265 next year but uh, just getting a guy who's actively helping your batting average over 600 plus plate appearances from the catcher position and a guy who's hitting first or second in the lineup like that that's the appeal with Adley so um, I, I just would be expecting close to a repeat from him uh, Jackson Holiday uh, he's gonna come into camp I think with a chance to win the shortstop job uh, he's he's a wild card for playing time next year uh, I think just given how many good players they have I, I don't know if it's a lock he makes the opening day roster um i think they will have that door open for him like if he comes into spring training um like he's still going through legitimate physical maturation so he could show up with 15 more pounds of muscle six months from now uh you know who knows what what holiday is going to look like six months from now um and i think if he if he just kind of shows up to camp a little stronger um a little bit more physically mature he could win that that shortstop job in camp he does have to work a little bit on his defense though so like that's something that baltimore will be looking at um you know i think his upside like if he were to make the opening day roster i think his upside is kind of um to sort of be on the same type of pace Wander Franco was on this year. Um, but maybe more realistically, Holiday is kind of what someone like Wander Franco was before this year. Um, you know, I just I I don't think Holiday is gonna be ready to hit like 25 homers next year. Uh even if he does win the job in spring training. Um but if he doesn't win it he'll be at triple A and then he'll be up in like a month. Um Jordan Westberg uh you know, I think he could maybe, I think Westberg makes the team. Um, he's just such a versatile quality defender. Uh, he handled himself well in, in his first taste of the majors. Um, for a stat line, you know, Westberg maybe uh, 18 homers, 10 steals with like a 270 average, uh, 500 plus plate appearances. I, I don't think he will be in the lineup every single day, like um, Henderson and like, you know, Rutschman um maybe even not like you know santander this year but i think westberg gets up over 500 plate appearances next year um and then you know todd lists heston kierstead and kobe mayo and connor norby uh he did not list colton Kowser, so i guess todd's todd's not a Kowser guy but uh i i think all those guys need to be discussed but in kind of two different groups um so i think you know for kierstead and for kobe mayo um, are Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, and Ryan O'Hearn still on the roster? If they all are, then I just don't think you can expect Kierstad or Mayo uh, to be up in the big leagues on opening day. And you know who knows when you see those guys. Uh, if Santander, Mountcastle, and, and O'Hearn are still all around, and yes, I know, like Ryan O'Hearn kind of a journeyman why would he be blocking these guys well he's been very productive in a platoon role for the orioles uh, still under club control next year so like i could see them um i mean they might even 
they might even non-tender one of those guys. They might uh, just kind of give one of them away and trade or something like that. But I don't think there's much trade value out there for for those three players, especially Mountcastle and O'Hearn. And so if the Orioles just hold on to those guys, then I think you, you're looking at Kierstead and Mayo opening at AAA, and they're not really going to be draftable in anything other than draft and holds. Um, and then for for Connor Norby and Colton Kowser, who I'll include um, and just for the sake of this discussion, is our Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes on the roster. Um, those are guys that are kind of giving them um, offense and some defense in the outfield. Uh, I don't think there's really room for Kowser or Norby. And Norby has been playing more outfield. Uh, I I just think he it's it's so crowded on the infield. That I just, I'm kind of treating Norby as sort of like a left fielder right now. Um, but for Kowser and Norby, are Mullins and Hayes on the roster? If so, I just think they're they're back to AAA. Um, so I think I think Kirstead, Mayo, Kowser, Norby. There's a place for drafting those guys in draft and hold leagues. Uh, I won't be drafting them in in uh, Fab leagues um, with with current intel. All right, next question is from uh, Will Bell, and uh, he says, "Not enough Jackson Holiday talk on the pod recently." Uh, I'm actually I actually got a few Jackson Holiday questions. I just kind of lumped them all in. Um, what are your thoughts on his performance at AAA? And then uh, he says, "Not fantasy related, but do you play any baseball sims like out of the park?" Um, so in terms of holiday at triple a uh you know he's walking almost as much as he's striking out obp's almost 400 uh so i i think he's putting the the finishing touches on an a plus minor league season um you know again i i don't i don't look at what jackson holiday did in the minors this year and then look at uh, baltimore's home park and see like a, a clear path to 25 homers next year. Um, but again, like he could, he could show up to camp with 15 more pounds of, of muscle. Um, so I, I wouldn't rule anything out necessarily. Um, I do, I do, I think it was Jeff Ponce who initially kind of uh, threw out that, that Wander Franco comp at me. I do kind of like the Wander Franco comp for holiday as sort of a, this is how his development could trend. Um, but I do think, like for Wander Franco, it was, it was basically two seasons in the majors or a season and a half in the majors before this kind of power and speed breakout that we saw this year before uh, his suspension um, or before he was placed on administrative leave. Um, I, it, with Holiday, it might not be one and a half years before that kind of jump comes. It might even come sort of halfway through his first year or, or certainly by his second year. But uh, I, I don't. I don't see Jackson Holiday as just this kind of, um, you know, Ronald Acuna type of uh, monster fantasy guy, you know, the first time you can draft him. Um, I do think he will um, be productive uh, as a rookie. It's just um, I think we're not quite to him reaching the peak of his powers yet. Uh, and then as to the, uh, do I play any baseball Sims? Um, I, I don't, I just, I have, you know, after all the time I spend working and managing my fancy baseball teams, that's, that's kind of enough of scratching the baseball itch that I need. Um, you know, probably comes down to like, yeah, 70 hours of baseball related stuff for me a week. So I don't, I don't really need anything else. Um, 
I do play Immaculate Grid from time to time, but um, yeah. Uh, JLD says, where does Jackson Holiday go next year in the NFBC? Um, I think he'll probably go around like 200 or so in early online championships, which are the the 12 team uh, fab leagues with seven man benches. Um, you know, upside guys tend to go fairly high in those leagues because you can, uh, you know, you're, you're drafting for upside even in the second half of your draft there. And, uh, and then in like draft champions, which is like draft and hold, I think holiday probably goes around, you know, it'll be a wide range obviously. Um, but I think kind of in the 120 to 180 range, probably. Um, I will say this to, to JLD's question about where Jackson holiday goes in the NFPC, uh, Wyatt Langford of the Rangers who will be, uh, the new number one overall prospect uh, next week's update. Uh, I do think Langford should have a higher ADP than Holiday next year. Like Langford is ready to go. Um, like he's ready to be a 30 plus homer hitter who steals 20 plus bases. Like I think he could do that next year. So um, very excited to see what uh, the redraft community does with Wyatt Langford. I do assume that, you know, as it kind of becomes more, um, sort of widespread the idea that he's the the number one prospect uh i do think he will start really creeping up so i think like if you want wyatt langford um i'd get in an early draft and just see kind of where he goes um but I, i'm i'm excited to draft Wyatt langford for 2024 uh all right and then we have a, another jackson holiday related question um so this one is shoot, I forgot to write down who wrote this one, uh, but I'll have that on the the article version, which will be live in a couple of days. But um, basically, this guy has Jackson Holiday, uh, and or no, the guy in his league who has Jackson Holiday is asking for three first year player draft picks, um, projected lotto odds of fourth pick, ninth pick pick and 12th pick um in a 10 team uh, head-to-head obp league and he's basically saying what uh, what is the highest pick you would consider dealing if you happen to luck into um a top three pick um to try to package some picks for for jackson holiday uh so you know if you have the one pick that's why at langford wouldn't do that um i actually am uh i'm toying with the idea of having walker jenkins as number two for first year player draft i just am in love with walker jenkins of the twins i think he's a top 10 prospect um but you know whoever you want to do like walker jenkins paul Skeens, dylan cruz i think they're all kind of going to be ranked in like the 7 to 11 range for me on next week's update so um you know if if and then like matt shaw i think is going to be borderline top 25 so that those are kind of the the clear sort of top five for me for, for first year player, just talking about prospects. Um, and then you, you're going to have some, some guys coming over um, from Asia that, that are going to go high as well. So um, would I do Walker Jenkins plus two back half of the first round first year player, first year player draft picks for holiday? Uh, I, I think I would do that. Like I, jenkins plus you know a couple other borderline top 50 prospects for holiday yes you do that um if it's if it's two of jenkins Skeens, cruz and shaw 
plus another um you know top 12 first year player draft pick uh that one is uh you know that one's probably more closer to like fair value and it would probably depend you know if, if i had cruise and shaw plus somebody for holiday that that to me is kind of fairer um jenkins plus skeins and somebody for holiday that might be too much so um yeah hope that hope that helps uh kind of a complicated question but uh david scott says will warren clayton beater drew thorpe chase hampton as a yankees fan should i be excited or is this just or is this crop just restocking our bullpen have uh and then also you Andres Gomez uh, had his highest innings pitch total this year. Uh, is he a possible deep sleeper? So uh, Dave, uh, I, I generally really like actually everybody you mentioned. Um, I, I know I, I think the Yankee system is, is pretty good uh, or at least underrated. Um I think it's a top five system. I mean, this is just, this is a ton of pitching depth depth. Um, didn't even mention like Richard Fitz or Luis heel. Uh, the Yankees just have, it's a lot of guys to get excited about. Um, I think I am I'm, I'm high on all these guys relative to consensus. Uh, Warren, uh, will Warren, who I got another question on. Um, I really like him. He's going to be one of the biggest risers on next week's update. Um, and then, you know, I think Thorpe and Hampton, I think those guys clearly are are starting pitchers. It's just kind of a question of are they like number two? Are they number threes? Um, and then, you know, I think so Warren, Thorpe and Hampton, I think you're, you're getting starting pitchers there, I believe. Uh, and and pretty good ones. Like, I think they're all mid rotation caliber or better uh, Then beater. You know, Andres Gomez, uh, I'm even going to include Luis Hill uh, just for the sake of this discussion. Uh, those guys come with more bullpen risk, um, but they have just really legit stuff. Uh, Beater, I mean, he finished like his last three starts. He was just striking out uh, a ton of guys. I mean, he's been striking out a ton of guys all season, um, but he just kind of uh, kept the walks down enough to just really dominate down the stretch. Uh, as you said, it was a big year for Gomez staying healthy. Uh, heels Velo is back. I think those three guys, uh, beater Gomez heel. If you just said bullpen or reliever, I'd say reliever, but I also am really excited to see how those guys look, uh, in spring training. I mean, you could even throw Randy Vasquez into this mix too. Um, who I, I would lump in more with these guys as sort of, uh, questionable whether they're starters or not, but, uh, like I wouldn't be surprised if one of Clayton Beater, uh, Yoandres Gomez, Luis Heel, if one of those guys, Randy Vasquez, in spring training, uh, really makes some noise because they all have um, they all have pretty legit stuff. Uh, and and if those guys, if those four end up in the bullpen and Warren Thorpe and Hampton end up in the rotation, that's great. Like that's an awesome developmental um, story by the Yankees pitching development. <laughs> Okay, Ross Redkay, uh, Will Warren had a really nice finish to the season at AAA. Um, think he has the skills and opportunity to be an early season contributor next year. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got multiple Warren questions. 
of the guys I think I had outside my top 200, he might be the biggest riser on next week's update. Um, I just, you know, I do want to reiterate though, I've said this before, but um, both for hitters and for pitchers, uh, having really strong finishes at AAA over the final six to eight weeks, like it's, it's better than not having a strong finish, but it is just worth noting that there's a, a significant talent drain at AAA over the course of a season. So you're just not facing um, that great a competition. Um, if you, if you look at starting pitchers, like pitching prospects who have not reached the majors yet, and this is, isn't just Yankees, but I think Warren, um, is arguably a top five target. Uh, I think he's arguably a top five target just for, for redraft leagues next year of pitchers who haven't reached the big leagues yet. So I know a lot of you are kind of looking to kind of get ahead of, um, you know, this starting pitcher, maybe he's going to be up in May and he helps me for most of the season. Like, I think that could be Warren. Uh, he's got one of the best sliders in the minors. He's uh, really kind of come on strong. He, he looks like a starting pitcher to me. Like, I just don't see much reliever risk there at all. Um, you know, worst case scenario, maybe he's more of like a number four, number five, but I, I think he's got the stuff to be more of a, a true number three starter. Uh, so Will Warren is is definitely someone to consider in early draft and holds and just to kind of get on your roster for next year. All right, let's head to a quick message from our sponsors. And when we come back, I will uh, get to some questions about uh, some Padres prospects. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all that heat or humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There's a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. 
Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can access the HRF Premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. Okay. Um, let's see. Artur Dominguez says, with rumors that the Padres will cut some payroll next season, how does that, or does that give you optimism that their top prospects with a 2024 ETA uh, Jackson Merrill, Ethan Salas, Robbie Snelling will get a chance to make the opening day roster next season. And then he says, are the Padres generally aggressive with prospects? Yeah, I mean, well, AJ Preller, uh, AJ Preller's always been very aggressive with kind of everything. Um, we'll see if he's the one making those calls or not. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, Merrill, kind of surprised he didn't get a bump to AAA. Um, but, you know, he'll be up at some point. Um, I wouldn't rule out opening day, but I just, I think he's probably more like, um, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. Merrill, Merrill's really tough. Like, he could show up to spring training and win a job. Like, if they think he's got a shot to win rookie of the year, um, probably wouldn't be that good of a shot just doesn't seem like a big counting stack guy to me as a rookie, but, um, you know, I wouldn't rule out opening day on Merrill, uh, Ethan Salas opening day. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that one's in the cards, even if, uh, just super aggressive AJ Preller was making the call. I don't think that that one's happening. Um, you know, I think Ethan Salas being up, you know, th there's this sort of new point in the calendar um, when all the teams, I think this year it was like uh, August 18th, maybe, um, where all the teams realize that they can promote a guy and it's going to be under 45 days on the active roster. So they'll still be rookie eligible next season. Uh, Solace to me, you know, if you promote him next August as a freshly turned 18 year old, I think that's plenty aggressive um, for any team. Uh, including the Padres. So I uh, don't think Salas is on the opening day roster. Um, as I always say with like Ethan Salas, though, like it just don't, don't rule anything out necessarily um, because he's already just broken so many barriers in terms of how quickly he's, he's ascended through the minors, but um, just seems very unlikely to me. And then uh, Robbie Snelling again, kind of like with Salas, you know, Snelling just being up sometime next season, I think qualifies as pretty aggressive. Uh, I don't think it has to be opening day. He turns 20 in December. He made four starts at double A, uh, walked 10 guys in 17 and a third. So I don't, I don't think opening day is likely, but I do think Snelling is in the majors sooner than a lot of people might expect. Um, just not our tour with the, the opening day um, kind of as, as the aiming point there. Um, all right. Eric Samolski, buddy from uh, NBC sports says, I'm curious if the recent weeks of call-ups have meaningfully changed how you view them for 2024 in particular, uh, Evan Carter, Curtis Mead, Mason Wynn, Joe Boyle, and Sedan Raffaella. 
So uh, long-term expectations for Curtis Mead and Mason Wynn have changed the least for me, probably of all those guys. Um, you know, I had zero expectations for Mason Wynn after he got the call. Um, like he was incredibly impressive at AAA, uh, especially over the, the two months prior to him getting the call. But he was also the youngest qualified hitter at AAA. Kind of got off to a slow start there this year. So I just, it was so expected, I guess, for him to get off to a slow start against big league pitching. So really not much has changed at all with uh, Mason Wynn. Um, the only thing that's changed is that, you know, I, I'm more confident on some guys who are going to be ahead of him. Like I think I'm going to move like Brady House ahead of him. Um, like Xavier Isaac, uh, Jet Williams, um, Walker Jenkins, I think was behind him on the last one. So like there will be some guys that, that go ahead of him, but um, nothing's really changed with Wynn. He's going to play every day next year. Uh, I'm with Mead. You know, I think the, the hit tool has kind of been as advertised. I don't really get the sense from him just sort of watching him take at bats that he's ready to get to all of his power in games. And I don't even think I would expect that next year. You know, like I think Mead's got 25 plus Homer power um at peak i just think it might be a another year before he quite gets to that all of that so i think both guys will be usable in fantasy next year but i'd expect them to be pretty prime post type sleepers in 2025 um say Raffaella, you know i've been getting a lot higher on him and this is even sort of before he got the call uh just sort of had a um kind of had a moment where I sort of realized I was being uh, I was focusing too much on his over aggressive approach um, you know it's just it's easy to get sort of caught up in a guy's shortcomings um, when they're sort of obvious like say Don Rafael is too aggressive like yes that's true but um, he's just such a freak uh, both you know, just athletically, his uh, defensive abilities to play center field, shortstop. Um, so I just I think there's a lot to like here. You just have to kind of like his swing decisions will be bad more often than most nerds would want them to be. Um, you know, if like if you were if you were looking at Michael Harris's stats um, this past off season and just sort of deciding like, am I interested in this guy? And like, kind of forget the draft cost. Cause I think the draft cost was enough to just kind of have a lot of people out, even people that like Michael Harris. But um, like, I, I see a lot of the same sort of obvious shortcomings you could point to in Rafaela's um, initial big league numbers uh, that people pointed to with Harris last year. And so it just, it's not going to be, he's not a perfect prospect. Um, but, and, and there's a chance that Rafaela hits like 200 and gets sent to AAA for a couple more months next season. Um, but there's also a chance he hits 20 homers with 30 steals and is playing every day because of his defense. Um, so I've just, I've kind of come around on Rafaela as sort of the good outweighing the bad. And then the elite defense kind of, negating the bad like i think he has to be really bad to get sent back down um and then uh and i'm, I'm really excited to see where rafael's adp is like 
it just it could be anywhere um he's got the chance to steal that many bases you know i, I have no idea where it's going to be um evan carter kind of the opposite of rafaela where i was sort of too focused on his lack of uh you know impact for lack of a better word but just sort of you know exit velocities are not evan carter's friend uh, but he's just so good at getting the barrel on the ball at the right point in his swing and just kind of pulling the ball out just over the the fence um you know it's not you know he's, he's not like a baseball savant type of guy necessarily um but he just gets the most out of his physical abilities uh so i think you know carter i had him at 21 on my last update uh he'll probably be about 10 to 12 spots higher on next week's update so uh, and that's basically just all based on how productive he's been in the big leagues. Uh, but that said, um, like I still prefer like uh, Jason Dominguez or Jordan Lawler long term to Evan Carter. I just see more impact potential there. Like, you know, maybe maybe Evan Carter is just the type of guy who gets to his like 99th percentile outcome and uh, hits for high average hits first or second hits 20 plus homers steals 25 plus bases that type of thing um but i just i think given his big league stats um i just think the, the i'll be priced out probably um and like he's gonna go weeks at a time i think next year evan carter um without hitting a home run i think the book like if I'm pitching to Evan Carter and I'm look, I know like plenty of pitchers who've pitched to him probably thought about doing this, tried to do this, but um, just power inside. Like if you're, if you're putting stuff on sort of the middle uh, outer third, he can reach the bat out and, and get the barrel on. Um, you're kind of playing right into to what he does. Um, I just be trying to pump as much gas as you have on the, the inner third and, uh, I think teams will start doing that more next year. So um, just given the big league numbers from Carter, I, I can't imagine I'll be in on, on him at his reject price next year. Uh, so Joe Boyle, you know, I asked Eno about him last week and he said 70 stuff, 20 command. I echo that. Uh, had another Joe Boyle question as well. I mean, we're really letting two big league starts against, uh, I think, pretty bad teams. I know one of them was against the, the Tigers. Um, but we're really letting like nine big league innings um, sort of erase what he did over a uh, hundred innings in the upper levels of the minors this year. Um, you know, he had a, let's see, he had a 19.4% walk rate at double a with the reds before getting moved. He had a 16.7% walk rate. Uh, for the A's at AAA before getting promoted. So to me, that's much more instructive than these nine innings in the big leagues in September down the stretch. Um, I do think there is value in um, streaming A's pitchers at home in the right matchup. So uh, if Joe Boyle is in the rotation and I see a decent home start on his schedule and he's out there, as a free agent, I might add him as a streamer, but um, beyond that, I, I'm just going to kind of assume he's 
not going to throw enough strikes to be a reliable starter at all. And I mean, he could even be wild enough in the spring where he spends a couple months at AAA to start next year. So I think Boyle, just by the fact that I'm answering questions about him, uh, that has changed <laughs> basically, but um, I don't think he's a starting pitcher long-term. Um, St. Louis Perfectos, I've kind of checked out over the past month plus. Anybody really turning it on late this season and catching your eye that would be worth adding in uh, leagues where 200-plus prospects um, are rostered. So uh, a few guys who've really caught my eye over the past uh, month plus, uh, Lonnie White with the Pirates, Reese Hines with the Reds, Giancarlos Lara, uh, young uh, six foot three righty uh, in Atlanta's system. Uh, White, he's been just really injured since getting drafted out of high school in 2021, but he's been healthy for uh, a few months and he's just shown crazy power at uh, single a um he's you know it's kind of like three true outcomes type of power high walk rate high strikeout rate but he's got speed um you know he's listed everywhere as like a, a plus runner i don't know if he's still that fast he just looks really strong and big and scary at the plate right now so i don't know if he's actually still a plus runner but let's just say he's like an above average runner um i mean that could be 30 homer power with 20 steals, 15 steals. Um, so I, I like Lonnie White a lot for the upside, although he's at least a couple years away. Reese Hines to me is kind of, um, you know, he's kind of a discount version of like Owen Casey. Uh, he, you know, the, the, he was in the Southern league, obviously. Um, and since they removed the pre-tech balls, uh, he's been striking out at a, normal clip like mid 20s getting all that power reese hines was drafted for his like he had 70 grade raw power entering the draft as an as a, a high school hitter and he's still getting all that power strikeout rates in a in a fine place um so i think people are sleeping a little bit on reese hines and then uh lara um you know that's a really nice um like if you just say six foot three good velocity, tons of strikeouts in Atlanta's organization, just checks a lot of boxes there. So I think those are all guys worth adding in, in leagues that size. Uh, a few others who've kind of caught my eye that, you know, maybe they're available, maybe they're not. Uh, Chase Petty with the Reds, Christian Robinson, uh, Austin Shenton, Alan Roden with the Blue Jays, um, a few other guys. Uh, Tom Braun. This is, as a Red Sox fan, I want to believe in Roman Anthony. However, some of their top prospects, and then he has uh, Marcelo Mayer and Nick York in parentheses, don't seem to progress in their system. Tell me why Anthony will be different. Um, well, I, you know, I think you mentioned Marcelo Mayer and Nick York haven't really progressed. Um, I think Tristan Casas and Sedan Rafaela and Jaron Duran seem to have progressed as well as could have been expected. And I think in Duran's case, uh, much better than I would have expected. So um, I guess it depends which prospects you want to sort of cite for how well the Red Sox do at developing guys. You know, I think for most orgs, you could find some guys where it hasn't worked out and guys where it has worked out. Um, I think 
at the very least, there's no denying. I don't think at this point that Roman Anthony is a better prospect now. Like if all we were doing was just kind of stacking Roman Anthony, Marcelo Mayer, Nick York up based just on their stats, their offensive stats. I don't think Mayer or York have ever had the resume that Anthony has as we sit here today. So I think um, it definitely makes sense to have Roman Anthony at a higher place than Mayer or York ever were in my rankings. Um, just based on what he's accomplished, based on the fact he got to double A and not only didn't slow down, but like, you know, he struck out last at double A. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, like Nick York t- to say he hasn't progressed. I think he's, it's been a solid year for Nick York at double A. Um, but he hasn't progressed as a defender, but I mean, we knew that he wasn't going to do that. Like, he needs to basically be putting up like 135 WRC pluses at instead of 115s at double A, um, just because of his defensive shortcomings. And then, uh, you know, I think taking Marcel Mayer over Jordan Lawler was a pretty big mistake in hindsight. Uh, nobody was really saying that with confidence at the time. I certainly wasn't, but uh, I think they just took the wrong guy there with Marcel Mayer. And fortunately, I think they took the right guy in uh, Roman Anthony. I mean, if, if Marcelo Mayer had just put up Roman Anthony's exact stats his whole career, people would look at Marcelo Mayer as like a top five prospect. Um, okay. Uh, Rico S. What do you see as the fully formed version of Roman Anthony and Jet Williams? Fantasy round and total upside. Okay, so if uh, if they each reached like their 95th percentile outcome, I'd say Williams, I'd say they're both kind of borderline first round picks in fantasy. Uh, Williams is kind of like 25 homers, 35 steals as sort of an upside. Uh, Roman Anthony more like you kind of flip those like more speed than power, but 25 homers for Williams and more power than speed, but like 20 steals for Anthony. Like that's kind of the, where I see their upside. And then I think both the thing both guys have in common, Jet Williams and Roman Anthony, uh, better in OBP than batting average leagues. They're both very selective at the plate. Um, so, you know, I think borderline first round picks and uh, guys that are going to get to 60 plus home runs plus uh, stolen bases. Um, those are upside projections, but a lot of upside with those guys. Uh, Charlie says, how much has Jet Williams, Joey Loperfito of the Astros, and Carson Williams of the Rays, how much have they raised their value? Or is it the same as before? Uh, I think he probably means like same as when I ranked him a month ago. But uh, Jet's going to be a, a tad higher than he was a month ago. I think he'll be like in the mid-teens instead of the early 20s. Uh, Joey Loperfito struggled more than anticipated against AAA pitching. So if anything, he'll be lower than he was on the last update. Uh, Loperfito was 95th overall. And then I had Carson Williams at 50th overall in the last update. That feels exactly right to me. Um, you know, I think he, I think Carson Williams, it, like a median outcome to me is kind of like a Willie Adamas uh, for fantasy. Uh, he's a better athlete than Adamus was, um, but I, I think you know, twenty-five to thirty homer pop, ten to fifteen steals. I mean, he's going to steal a bit more than than Adamus, but um, 
you know, I think that batting average in the OBP, you're going to see kind of big swings similarly to Adamas, but shortstop defense will keep him on the field. Uh, Ross Redkay, does Orion Kirkering, uh, reliever with the Phillies, have the goods to work his way into the closer role in Philly? And where do you think he ends up in the pecking order going into 2024? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's always annoying to me when when there's a reliever you've been following closely who suddenly starts getting hyped up um, before the end of the season. Uh, similar things happening with Danielle Palencia of the Cubs. Uh, but Kirkering is, you know, he's arguably the top uh, relief pitching prospect. Um, see i've got ben joyce and then kirkering and uh then prelander baroa i think those are probably my three favorite relief pitching prospects but um yeah i think uh kirkering is is definitely in that mix um palencia by the way he's he's uh, graduated due to time on the cubs uh, active roster um but i i would take uh jose alvarado as my first phillies reliever for 2024, but I would take Kirkering second, I think, after Alvarado. So uh, definitely in that mix. Uh, Griff McGarry could maybe figure into that at some point, but uh, he might not even have good enough command for the ninth inning. So I think Kirkering definitely has sort of closer of the future vibes for the Phillies. Uh, Alex Washburn says, what's Wickelman, Gar- Wickelman Gonzalez's ceiling prospect rank-wise? And then he says, I assume Connor Norby won't be back in the top 100 unless traded. Uh, so Wickelman Gonzalez, obviously uh, just super nasty uh, righty for the Red Sox. Uh, you know, he ceiling wise from a prospect ranking standpoint, like he could be a top three pitching prospect in the game. Um, I'm not uh, projecting that, especially just given his home park, but uh, he's got the type of ceiling where if he shows up next year with significantly improved control, it wouldn't be that hard to to see a path to Gonzalez being a top three pitching prospect. But he has to significantly improve that control. Um, it is kind of a, you know, he's kind of just been steadily sort of five walks per nine, that type of thing. Uh, and then Connor Norby, I mean, of course, he's dominating in September. Uh, you know, like I've said, like it, you really, like if you're, a good older prospect and you're in AAA right now, you should be dominating. Um, you know, I think, I think it's, it's a mistake to have as big of a gap as I do right now between Connor Norby and Colton Cowser on the rankings. Um, so I think, I think Norby actually could get back to around like 100 on um, next week's update. I just, you know, I like that. I like that the outfield is now an option for him. It's just, it's so crowded in Baltimore. Um, I really hope it's not a situation because, I mean, if they if they hit on 70% of these guys that you know, everyone sort of thinks talent-wise are top 100 prospects, they just, there's not enough room for all of them. And they're not, um, they're not interested in trading their, their legit guys. Like they'll, they'll trade a guy that is like his actual Walter type, right? But I don't even think they are. I don't even think they put Norby on the block uh, this past deadline. Um, so it's just it's so crowded there. I know that that gets annoying to have to always factor that into the value of these guys. But um, just do the math. Like if if you if you think 
um, like Samuel Basalo or, um, you know, Connor Norby or Kobe Mayo or whoever, like, if you think they're like the next great thing, it's just like, well, okay, we'll make the pieces fit where, how do the pieces fit? How do they get 550 plate appearances? Um, it's going to be tough. Uh, Tom Braun says in my dynasty league, we do a rookie draft who does more to help you win next year. And who is a better long-term pitcher between Max Meyer and Paul Skeens uh, Skeens for both. I think he'll throw more big league innings next year than Meyer. Uh, assuming Skeen stays healthy, which is, you know, he might not stay healthy, but um, I, I think Skeen's opens in the Pirates rotation next year. And, um, you know, maybe Myers competing for a spot in camp, but they're going to need to manage his innings next year. I was surprised the Pirates even pitched Skeen's after he got drafted at all. Like I thought they would just shut him down. So um, I think he'll just be, you know, he, he could get up to 180 innings next year. Um. Danny J is Victor Scott of the Cardinals, essentially a Ruiz with a hit tool. Um, you know, I think the hope with, with Victor Scott is that he's Ruiz with a slightly better hit tool and significantly better defense. Um, but they, they could end up being pretty similar for fantasy. Um, I like that Scott pulls the ball in the air enough to, you know, get to around 10 homers in a, in a big league season. He's at least not just kind of always hitting it on the ground to the opposite field. He's, he is trying to pull the ball. He's trying to lift the ball. Um, it's just, you know, for him to, the reason Esther Ruiz gets to play enough to steal as many bases as he did is because he's playing for the A's. Um, Esther Ruiz would have gotten, fewer than a hundred plate appearances if he was in the Cardinal system this year. So I think we need, what we really need is for Victor Scott to be a really good defensive center fielder. And it's, it's hard to find uh, super accurate up-to-date reports on players defense. Um, especially when it's a guy like Scott, where, you know, they kind of broke out this year. So you can't really rely that much on the preseason scouting reports. Um, I did notice that uh, Pipeline, you know, for what it's worth, had a 70 on Scott's defense. So, look, I mean, if if he's a 70-grade defensive center fielder, I think we'll be in business with Victor Scott. I think that'll keep him in the the lineup. I'll be at the bottom of the lineup, and then he can get to his Esther Ruiz stat line uh, that way. But uh, if he's as mediocre – a defender as Ruiz is, he's not going to play that much for the Cardinals. All right. Uh, Paul says thoughts on these pitchers for next season. Uh, Noah Schultz of the White Sox, Jacob Mizorowski, Brewers, uh, Kyle Hurt of the Dodgers, and Mason Miller. Uh, which ones do you think end up as starters and which ones are relievers? So Noah Schultz, just not really a next year type of guy. Um, you know, I just want Schultz to have a fully healthy season. Uh, maybe he splits it between high A and double A, but he's dealt with some injuries. He's six foot nine. He's only pitched at single A. Um, so not a big league option next year. And then in terms of starter or reliever, I mean, who knows? Like as of right now, he's going to be a starter. There's no reliever red flags right now, but he's only pitched at single A. He could. Uh, deal with a bunch of injuries and end up in the bullpen. He could just kind of lose 
uh, lose his delivery with all those those moving parts and long limbs and just his you know look at Forrest Whitley right like Forrest Whitley was six seven and he dominated all the way up to double A and then everything that could go wrong went wrong so yes Noah Schultz looks like a starting pitcher of course uh, but who knows what could go wrong with him as he climbs the ladder uh, Mizorowski I think he's going to be developed as a starting pitcher until it's clear it won't work. Um, I do think uh, part of the Brewers developmental approach with guys like this, with guys with just the high octane stuff, you know, the Corbin Burns, uh, Brandon Woodruff, uh, Aaron Ashby type of stuff. Uh, they break them in out of the bullpen. I expect them to do that with Mizorowski next summer. Like I think it just makes all the sense in the world to me to have Mizorowski come up in like July next year and, and just kind of work in, you know, get four outs here, get six outs here as a reliever be a weapon um, in the, the postseason bullpen and then compete for a rotation spot in 2025. But Mizorowski's command has a long ways to go. Um, so I think starting pitcher, but high risk, high, high reward with Mizorowski. Uh Kyle hurt. I think he, I think he can start. Um, I think it's like 60, 40. He's, he's a starter. Uh, the Dodgers have a ton of options. Um, he obviously can be a very effective reliever with his stuff, with his ability to miss bats. Um, so I, I like Kyle Hurd as like a draft and hold target for next year because I think he's going to strike enough guys out that even if he's coming out of the bullpen, you can plug him in on weeks where you don't have a ton of great options and, and it'll be fine. Um, I don't think Kyle Hurd's going to spend a ton of time in the minors next year just because – it makes sense to me to, you know, if you're not going to start him right away next year, maybe just break him in out of the bullpen and slowly stretch him out. Maybe he's an option to join the rotation as the season goes on. Uh, Mason Miller, you know, he's going to be managed extremely carefully, basically for the rest of his career. Uh, all the evidence in the world is telling us that he cannot handle a starter's workload. Uh, I think if the A's can use Mason Miller in a hundred inning role, they will. Uh, I hope it's not as bad as Eno was suggesting on last week's episode, where maybe they just turn all their guys into sort of hundred inning pitchers and they all pitch three innings at a time like that. That would suck. Um, Cause we just couldn't use any of them. Not that we can use many of them as it is, but um you know, Miller's just, I just don't think, I mean, you're just dreaming if you think he can handle a starter's workload. Jason E, 16-team dynasty, head-to-head -head category league. Of these five starting pitchers, anyone you are excited about and willing to roster next year? And then the pitchers are Nick Pavetta, Reese Olsen, Christopher Sanchez, Zach Little, and Kenta Maeda. Well, in a 16-team league... Um, I'm willing to work to roster all five of those guys. I mean, I think I have rostered all five of those guys in 15 team leagues and even some 12 team leagues this year. So 16 teams, why not? Uh, am I excited to roster any of them? Uh, probably not. I, I'd say I'm willing to roster all of them. I wouldn't say I'm excited to roster all of them. Um, Pavetta would probably be my favorite if you had a better home park. Uh, Olsen is probably my favorite, especially relative to where I sort of expect his ADP to be. 
I just think Reese Olsen is he's shown enough flashes this year and I uh, don't see any reason why I wouldn't be in that rotation. And it's a, it's a good part. Uh, Christopher Sanchez, you know, he finished the season really strong. I haven't had a chance to dig in much on, on sort of uh, what's all happening there with, with him, but uh, thankfully Todd Whitestone added him for us in, in uh, at least one league. Uh, so we've been benefiting from how he's pitched on the stretch. I think just the fact that he's, you know, he's got, I think he's got multiple double digit strikeout games down the stretch here. He should be in the rotation next year. 16 teams. He's, he's definitely uh, someone that should be on rosters. Uh, Zach Little. I think if, if you liked having Zach Little over the past six weeks, I think you'll like having him next year. I think it's just, this kind of is what he is. Kenta Maeda just depends where he's pitching next year. I think he's a free agent. So I'm sure he'll, he'll be capable of providing his usual 120 innings. Um, that's just kind of what you get from Kent Maeda. Uh, Joe McHugh says, uh, your take on O'Neill Cruz, Jazz Chisholm, CJ Abrams, Ellie De La Cruz for redraft in 2024. And then Joe says, throw a dynasty take if you're feeling it. Um, okay. So, uh, O'Neill Cruz, you know, he's probably going to get drafted higher than I'm comfortable with next year. Just a lot of risk factors with him. And I don't, I just don't get the sense from the fantasy community that there'll be enough of a discount with O'Neill Cruz for me to get in. Um, like just the fact that people compare O'Neill Cruz and Ellie De La Cruz, like I'll take Ellie De La Cruz 10 times out of 10 there. Um, with with O'Neill Cruz, there's the batting average risk, obviously. Um, there's durability risk, and there's makeup risk with him. Um, you know, and and O'Neill Cruz's stolen bases aren't as rare as they were when he first came up. So, uh, I just don't, I don't think you need to take that type of big swing. Like, I, I think O'Neill Cruz will probably have an ADP inside the top 100 um i just think there's so many better um safer players that are going to be available in that range um you want to get your you want to get your speed early so that you don't have to take a guy like o'neill cruz at pick like 85 or whatever um jazz jazz i mean this breaks my heart and it it sadly is kind of a perfect cop because i loved Byron Buxton too, but um, I just think he's Byron Buxton 2.0. I just think uh, he just can't have his body can't handle like 135 plus games. So, um, you know, especially now that he's just center field, I love, you know, there was a time when I was just extremely high on jazz. There was a time when I was extremely high on Buxton and I'm, going to attempt to sort of learn my lesson sooner with jazz than I did with Buxton. Although I did learn it soon enough with Buxton. I wasn't taking Buxton third round in the main event two years ago or anything like that. But um, I just, I mean, project jazz for a hundred games and see where that sort of slots in for you. Um, CJ Abrams, I'm buying generally for redraft. I think, uh, I think, you know, the, the playing time is extremely secure for CJ Abrams and with the secure playing time, I think you can pretty much bank 35 plus deals from him next year. 
it's even a you know i don't even think this is necessarily just cj abrams at his peak right now there could be another another level for him um and in fact like earlier this season because he really broke out uh sort of over the last like three months but i mean even earlier this season i was sort of thinking maybe the breakout won't happen this year maybe it'll happen next year so i i think abrams is it's just a matter of where where is he going um in drafts do i need to go get a bunch of steals when i'm up where he usually goes you know i i could see myself having abrams on i don't know maybe 10 percent of teams 20 percent of teams next year and then uh, I like Ellie Day the Cruz the most of all these guys, uh, both short term, long term. Um, I just think this was this was his adjustment year, uh, you know, against big league pitching, and he's still flirting with fifteen thirty five and less than hundred games. Uh, unlike, you know, like I think Ellie is a just from what I know and what I can kind of just gather from like watching these guys ellie i think i would give like plus makeup too and o'neill cruz i'd give like 30 grade makeup too so um i like betting on like that plus tools nobody can really match ellie's tools um he's improved as a hitter every year he's he's a hard worker um i just i i'm willing to bet on a guy like that especially when I mean, Ellie could go, Ellie could steal 70 bases next year. Ellie could hit 35 to 40 homers next year. He could do 35 homers, 60 steals, like not projecting that at all, but I just don't think it's crazy at all to say that he could do that. And I think there's enough. I don't think he's going to get pushed up to the point where I'm priced out at all. Uh, Mark Johnson says, where would Emmett Sheehan and Brian Wu slot on, on the list if still eligible? Uh, Sheehan would, would be top 50, um, probably a top five pitching prospect still. I think, I think Sheehan's fantastic by low in dynasty. And, um, and I, I kind of want to correct something, or I've had time to think about something I said on last week's episode, you know, and I think with Sheehan, I mentioned, um, you know, I, I like him for draft and holds. I wouldn't take him in fab leagues until we sort of see how that rotation shakes out. Uh, I actually think I would take Sheehan in, you know, with like a bench pick in like a OC draft because I'll just probably cut that guy no matter what. So like it's it's all about will Sheehan be in the, the Dodgers rotation? You know, I think that's like 50-50 right now. Um, but if you take him with like a, a reserve round pick, in a fab league and he's not in the rotation you just cut him um so i like she and then uh woo i think woo would probably be top 52 like i'm kind of in my mind i'm sort of picturing she in at like 30 and woo at like 45 or something like that um you know woo's durability has been an issue this or in, in his in his career um i like I like Sheehan's stuff just a little bit more. I like I like Sheehan's uh, off-speed stuff um, significantly more than Wu. I mean, Wu, Wu's got great context, um, but so does Sheehan. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just like Sheehan a bit more. Plus, I had Sheehan ranked about 120 spots ahead of Wu coming into the year. 
Uh, Travis Magnuson, where would Von Grissom and Luis Matos fall on the updated list if they were eligible? Um, Matos, I think, would be around like 25th overall. Uh, the only thing I don't really like about Matos is his team stuff. Like, home park sucks. Uh, Giants are just obsessed with subbing guys in and out. Um, so I just think those those factors are going to suppress Matos' value a little bit. But I, I think he's just a, a huge, um, like, you know, park, ballpark um, neutral. I think he's going to really... Uh, have a, a bounce back year next year, at least against big league pitching. I think he's been been great all season. Um, Vaughn Grissom, I think he'd be kind of more around 75. So Matos, 25th overall, Grissom, 75th. And it, I love Grissom's bat, but it just it just seems like he needs a trade. He didn't get that trade at this year's deadline. Um, we'll see if he gets moved in the offseason, but yeah, it's just tough to know what to, what to do with a guy where it's just like, he just needs to get traded or, and I definitely don't want Ozzy Albies getting hurt again. So um, yeah, it's tough. Ooh. Uh, all right. This is a great question. Question of the question of the episode. Uh, Jams IMO says, what is your top three album run in hip hop history? So the best string of three albums released by the same artist back to back to back in hip hop history. So a lot to unpack here. Uh, If you don't care about this, just fast forward like two minutes. Um, But uh, I got some honorable mentions first. So um, I think the first three Ghostface Kill albums are in the mix. First three Tribe Called Quest albums are in the mix. First three Outkast albums are in the mix. Uh, First three Kanye West albums, I think are, like in terms of hours spent listening the first three Kanye West albums probably trump any um run of albums for me uh in hip-hop history uh the Carter one two and three by Lil Wayne I think that that's just worth noting just because he actually pulled it off having three awesome albums in a row that all had the same name um I think uh you know, if we if we counted All Eyes on Me or Life After Death as two albums, um, they're double disc albums. I count them as one. I think most people would. Uh, then you could make a case for for Biggie or Tupac getting involved. I, I don't think there's a strong case for either of them. Um, you know, Biggie only released uh, one album before he died, so um, I don't even think you can count the ones after Life After Death. So. He doesn't qualify. I don't think Tupac had a good enough three album run to qualify. Um, I think Nas could have qualified if his third album, I Am, was better. I think Jay-Z could have qualified if his second album, In My Lifetime, was better. Uh, but I think those are two two albums are mediocre enough to kind of knock them out of it. Uh, I think DMX deserves to at least get mentioned um, since his first three albums were by far his three best albums and he put them all out in the span of 18 months. Um, so I think just fitting three plus albums to start a career into the span of 18 months is pretty incredible. Uh, but then I, now we've got the the two that it comes down to for me. Um, so I think uh, 
so there's there's sort of a mainstream kind of answer that I think is a uh, fairly infallible, but there's also like a an answer that I think is more interesting. Maybe would steer you into some albums you haven't listened to yet. But um, I think the first three Wu Tang albums are probably my official answer here. Uh, Enter Thirty Six Chambers, Wu Tang Forever, and the W. And then my honorable my my true honorable mention is. Um, this three album run by De La Soul is kind of a an interesting nomination because it goes from 1993 to 2000 to have these three albums included, um, but there wasn't anything introduced or released in between. Um, Balloon Mind State, Stakes Is High, and Artificial Intelligence, Mosaic Thump, um, back to back to back for De La Soul. Uh, love those albums. Uh, that's my favorite run in De La Soul history. I know the first two albums are classics, but I don't think they hold up as well. Um, what would that be like 30 years later? I don't know. I'd be like, I don't know, 35 years later. All right. Uh, back to baseball. The Mad Brit. Will Chase Hampton, Drew Thorpe, Christian Mania, or Nick Nostrini have any impact next year? All right. So Thorpe and Hampton are clearly the best of those four. Um, but I also don't think. They'll be up in the big league rotation until June or July. So I think th those are okay draft and hold guys. That's even maybe a stretch for me. The Yankees just have a bunch of options. Um, and then I think Nestrini, Nestrini does stand out to me as, as like a draft and hold target. Uh, you know, the command and control, big, big question with him, but uh, he's got legitimate stuff. He always strikes guys out. Um, he, I think he made like four starts at AAA. The White Sox have just no quality rotation depth. Like if you compare Nasrini to any of their other upper-level upper arms, he's he's clearly the most preferable to me. I think for for next year, um, Mania just doesn't. He, I don't think he is really in the class of these guys. Um, you know, he he could get some big league starts next year. Uh, I just don't really have any interest in him in draft and holds. Um, like I think he he was okay to start the year. He, he finished okay but i just don't think he's really in this class um bennett carroll says is there any concern that the white Sox will white sock colson montgomery and he has that in quotes so um i guess that depends on how bad montgomery's shortstop defense is um but even then i, I don't really think so uh and and my definition of white soxing is basically to continue to invest heavy resources in corner infield and DH prospects. Uh, Montgomery, not a corner infielder yet or a DH. Um, so I think his ability to theoretically provide defensive value in the middle infield should spare him from a, a similar log jam. Um, and then ideally Brian Ramos can just take over at third base in, in 2025 when Mancata can be a free agent. And then you have the, the Ramos, Montgomery, ideally playing every day on the left side of the infield. Uh, if if Montgomery has to move to third base, because the White Sox also just have a bunch of um, okay second basemen in the system. So if they if they move Montgomery off shortstop, but move him to third base instead of second base, and he, do, he does kind of look more like a third baseman than a second baseman. He's, he's pretty physical. Uh, then they could White Sox uh, Brian Ramos because then they would have third base blocked and 
just be kind of playing a waiting game where Ramos goes. But I don't think I don't think you have to worry about that with Montgomery. Um, by White Sox standards, Montgomery will be a defensive wizard, and and they won't be able to take him out of the lineup. Uh, Doug Dennis, uh, gonna miss you in in Arizona, Doug. Um, who gets the biggest leap in value with a decent showing in the Arizona Fall League? Okay, so this is a awesome question. I kind of I kind of went deep on this. Um, <clears throat> so I think uh, there's two different like sort of leaps in value. There's sort of who gets the biggest leap, kind of in the broad sense of like community value, like who would have the highest sort of prospect ADP on like one of Chris Walsh's prospect ADP mocks or something like that. And then the other way of looking at it is like biggest leap on my specific prospect rankings. Um, so guys that I think could take a big leap on my rankings. Um, I think uh, Abimelech Ortiz of the Rangers. I've been waiting for him to get tested against better pitching uh, all season. Might not really be getting that in the AFL, but at least it's, um, you know, a lot of these pitchers are at least kind of old and crafty. Uh, So I'd love to see what Ortiz does against uh, ideally a step up in pitching. Um, I think Cooper Jerpy could end up being the consensus um, best pitcher there behind uh, Ricky Tiedemann, and he might even outpitch Tiedemann if Jerpy's fully healthy. Um, he was really kind of coming on, I think, over like three starts before he needed to get um, what ended up being a, I think, a minor, minor elbow procedure. Uh, Takoa Roby, uh, he could be kind of like this year's Mason Miller, um, where he's just really been limited by injuries and he could kind of break out in the AFL. Uh, Wilmer Flores, I think he's got a chance to be one of the best pitchers out there and he could start to kind of look like a guy who's, who's ready for the big leagues. Um, JC young is a guy that I think could really, um, I think if he, if JC Young's one of the best hitters out there, I could see moving him up, uh, into the top 100 Jake eater. Honestly, Jake eater, like to me is in danger of, uh, falling off the rankings at some point in the next year. And I thought that was a terrible trade by the White Sox um, that kind of they created by just having that log jam. Um, but I'd love to, if Jake Eater went to the AFL and just looked good through strikes, um, that'd be, that'd be huge. I'd love for Jake Eater to kind of reestablish his value. Uh, then you got kind of like less heralded guys like Jack Brannigan, Damiel Palmegiani, um, would like to see those guys just kind of keep it going, establish their value. Um, Cameron Cauley is a, like, I'm really excited to see some Cameron Cauley defensive highlights from the AFL. Um, he's going to be one of the fastest guys there. He might lead the AFL in steals. I could see people getting excited about him. Uh, Nathan Martorella of the Padres kind of fell flat after getting promoted to double A. I'd like to see him, him kind of right the ship. Um, Robert Hassel is just, he just hasn't really been good since he was, at uh, the Padres high A affiliate. And so this is sort of a chance for Robert Hassel to sort of stay ranked. And um, then this, this next group of guys is are guys that are, I think like the community 
could just sort of start pushing them up. Um, I Chase DeLauder, I think, could end up being um, the like I could see Chase DeLauder being considered a top twenty prospect after the AFL. Um, and I don't think he's that far off of that right now. But I think like Chase DeLauder, it's it's not there's not a ton of uh, high end players there. Um, just kind of the way it is now. Chase DeLauder could be the best position player there. And um, I just I could see him just a lot of people buzzing about Chase DeLauder. So I think Chase DeLauder is my official answer. Uh, Brian Ramos, Victor Scott, Brainer, Benassi, um, Bonassi, uh, Justice Bigby, Kennedy Corona, Jacob Marcy, David McCabe. Um, those are some guys that I like. Um, and I'm just kind of interested to sort of see what they do in the AFL, um, whether they become sort of trendy names or whether they maybe struggle. I, I could see it going either way with all those guys. Um, but yeah, I, I think Chase DeLauder to Doug's original question. Um, I think he could end up being like one of the buzziest prospects in the AFL. Um, Chaz Beef, uh, what are your thoughts on some forgotten Dodgers such as Gavin Lux, Johnny DeLuca, and Miguel Vargas? Uh, I'm not really in on Lux. I just don't see the the power and the speed combination. Like, what's what's best case scenario? Like, even if he's playing every day, like he's not getting you to 20 homers. He's probably not getting you to 15 steals. Like, maybe maybe he's going like 14, 12, or something like that. And that's if he's playing every day. So I just don't really think it's worth gambling on that playing time being there. I, I, probably guess he gets platoon but um Vargas I think is a is a dynasty by low but I don't really know what his ADP is going to be this year um DeLuca I think is great but again we just don't have enough information to 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 like assume he'll get everyday playing time next year um so I I think I'd rank them Vargas DeLuca Lux long term and Vargas and DeLuca's uh, draft appeal really just kind of hinges on the cost for me. Scott uh, Saracen, I feel like Ronnie Mauricio was generally ranked lower than similar prospects. How do you feel about his small sample size and how do you view his long-term outlook? Uh, Ronnie Mauricio has got a 45% chase rate right now in the big leagues, which is a, it's a red flag, I would say. Um, and that's part of the reason why he wasn't ranked higher the, the whole time. Just the the approach, you know, just he's swinging at he's swinging at most. <laughs> he's he's swinging a lot. Um, so, but he's he's such a hard prospect to rank because there's some really obvious strengths. Obviously, the raw power, uh, decent contact rate for a guy with that type of raw power. He's very willing to run. He's not that fast, but he's very willing to run, and he's been successful running. Um, but the hit tool just keeps giving me pause. Just very tough to to, to slot him. Um, I suppose you could argue that uh, you know maybe it's not that dissimilar from say uh, like an Everson Pereira type that I that I do like more. But um, I like Pereira's swing decisions more. And um, yeah, and now the other thing, now that David Stearns is in charge. Um, I think it's a pretty safe bet that the Mets are going to be going young and cheap where possible now. So that's good for Mauricio's playing time outlook. Like I don't, 
with Stearns in charge, I don't think you have to worry about them like signing some old second baseman to come in and like, oh, now Mauricio's blocked because they signed this guy to a $10 million one-year deal. Like, I don't think that's going to happen with Davis Stearns. Uh, Chris Stevens. Aralvis Martinez has shown some improvement in the second half of this season, but he still has had massive platoon splits two years in a row and a massive uh, K issues in the past. <clears throat> Am I crazy for essentially writing him off before he's had a single at bat in the majors? Um, well, first I, I just think, uh, you know, he, he has a, or Elvis Martinez has a nine nineteen OPS and a 23 and a half strikeout rate uh, since May 10th. So I think it's, it's been more than a half season. I got to give him more credit than that. It basically just, he had a bad first month. Um, and I'm, I'm not as worried about the splits as you are. Um, you know, he he struck out 23% of the time against righties and he walked 13.5% of the time. So he obviously murders lefties. Um, but I think he may have just been unlucky against righties, like on the whole. Um, the batting average discrepancy there is kind of the big one. And he had a 223 Babbitt overall at double A. So you know, you're, you're dead on that. He's going to do a, a greater, uh, more damage against lefties on average than against righties. But I just didn't, I didn't see, you know, like if he'd been striking out like 35% of the time against righties and then 12% of the time against lefties, then I think you'd be onto something. But, um, I just don't, I don't see the crazy red flags there against righties. Um, but all, all that said, I don't think there's anything wrong with just, I don't know, writing him off, I don't know if that's the right word, but like don't draft anyone, um, especially in redraft, don't draft anyone that you are just very skeptical of, right? Like this goes for big leaguers, prospects. Um, I think there's absolutely, um, even if it's just someone you you can't get a good read on, just don't draft them. Draft, draft someone that you're confident in. Um, you should never be just kind of blindly going off of like some rankings and like, Oh, this is the next best guy. Or like, I need a third baseman. This guy's got the highest ADP of the third baseman. Like you should be drafting guys for a reason. So if you've got uh, in your head that you're just like, I, I just don't buy it from Martinez. I, I get that. I mean, he has had massive hit tool issues in the past. So I'm even kind of lukewarm on him, but uh, I just think it, you got to respect um the season he put out this year. I just, I never thought he would have this type of uh, strikeout rate and this type of production in the upper levels. Uh, Ross Red K. Um, I think this will be the last um, question. And then I'll, I've got some others that are, that are a bit more open-ended that I'll get to in the article. Uh, Ross Red K says, I'm usually leery of older hitters, but Ben Rice seems to have all of the statistical markers of a legit breakout. Uh, comps are dangerous, but heard some smart folks throwing out Vinny P as a possible out, upside outcome. Uh, does does Rice have the skills to be a legit four-cat contributor in OBP? Uh, that's kind of an outside-the-box comp. Um, I, I hadn't heard that one. Um, I just can't. I can't get that confident in a guy who turns 25 this offseason and has never played above double A. Um, just it, there's almost like nothing. What what could you do in those circumstances to get a, a Vinny Pasquantino comp out of me? I mean, it just really couldn't do much. Um, like Ben Rice is he's 
he's 16 months younger than Pascantino. And Pascantino made his MLB debut at the same age Rice is now. So, you know, they were both, Pascantino was sort of on the older end as like a prospect when he debuted, but it's just worth noting, like Ben Rice is behind Pascantino by a significant amount to me um, in terms of age to level. Um, so I, I think I'm putting plenty of respect on Ben Rice by having him top 200. Uh, you know, he might be closer to like top 150 on the next update, just out of respect to his high A and double A work. But, and uh, I mean, you don't need any sort of stat cast data to, to watch Ben Rice and see that he hits the ball really hard. Um, and, I, and you know, lefty power in Yankee Stadium, sign me up. Um, I just don't, I'm not anywhere near confident enough in him based on the the age to level um like he could i would not be surprised at all if he like put up a 34 percent strikeout rate as a 25 year old at triple a next year like just you know it's it's kind of want to see where it goes top top 200 for sure probably top 150 but uh not going to be throwing out pascantino comps yet on ben rice all right um Thanks again to everyone who, who asked great questions. And I will be posting the article version of this uh, later this week.